Church, we continue on in this sermon series as we look into the book of Joshua. And as we traveled with the Israelites, how they exodus out of Egypt into the promised land, we are bringing back to the time, back in the wilderness days, where we recall Moses, when he was still alive and leading the Israelites, he once warned them of this warning. He said in Exodus 34 verse 12, Take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. Now this warning from Moses was very, very clear. Moses told them, don't associate themselves with the occupants of the land which they were going to inherit. Why? Simply because the people there would trap them with their religion, their culture, their practices, and eventually will sway them away from God Almighty. And the best way to ensure that this does not occur was to totally annihilate them as God had commanded. But you know, as it turns out, this warning from Moses came true. And today's passage in chapter 9 explains, shows to us how this incident happened. So before we dwell into this passage, let's bow our heads as we commit this time to the Lord in prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts truly be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our God, and our Redeemer. Amen. Israel was now on the move. Thus far, we have seen how the mighty city of Jericho was totally destroyed. And after successful attack on Ai at the second time of asking, we are told in the, next, in the last chapter, in chapter 8, verse 30 to 35, Israel now camped at Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, reaffirming their commitment to the Lord over the victory. But while they were doing this, we are told now in this new chapter, in chapter 9, at the same time, the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland along the coast, and this includes the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Parasites, the Hittites, and the Jebusites, what were they doing? They were preparing for an onslaught on the Jewish invaders. They've obviously heard about the crushing defeat of both Jericho and Ai. And they were not about to throw in the tower. They were not about to give up without a fight. So instead of taking on a defensive posture, they opted for an all-out attack on Israel. After all, if you think about this, the combined forces of six armies far outnumbered that of Joshua's troops. But what these six armies failed to realize, that what was missing for them was, of course, Israel had Yahweh on their side. And it's strange, isn't it, how local rivals, they will often come together as one when they have a common enemy. And certainly we see in a case in point between Herod and that of Pilate at the trial of Jesus. Luke 23 verse 12 records, And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had, became, they had been at enmity with each other. So while the commanders of the troops of the six armies, they were plotting for war, the odds could have been seven to one, if not for this very fact that the inhabitants of Gibeon had other ideas. Now, it's important to understand that Gibeon was not 
a small or a weak city. In fact, if you were to go forward to Joshua chapter 10, verse 2, the passage here describes Gibeon as a great city. In fact, greater than I. And it even says that its men's, all its men were warriors. So in fact, Gibeon had two choices. They could either join the dare to fight against Israel, or they could simply admit defeat and surrender. But no, they didn't choose either of these two choices. Instead, they decided to resort to another form of strategy, deception. You see, <coughs> the reason for the ploy was simply because Gibeon was located only a day's journey from the Israelites' camp at Gilgal. And they were the next on Joshua's list of territories to be conquered. So what did the people do to save their skin? Well, if you look with me to verse 9 of chapter, 10, of chapter 9, we find that disguising themselves, they approached the camp and informed Joshua and the rest of the people there that they were from a very distant country. And the purpose of their visit was simply to make a covenant and so form an ally with the Hebrew people. Now, interestingly enough, this was in accordance, what they wanted to do was in accordance with the laws concerning warfare as stated by God to the Israelites as found in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 10 to 15. You can read this for yourself. Here in this law, God told the people of Israel that when you settle into the land that I'm giving to you, those outside of Canaan, you are to make peace with them. And so here we have this incident where the Gibeonites acted as though they were outside the land of Canaan and they wanted to make peace with Israel. We cannot be sure whether the Gibeonites knew about this law. And even if they knew, we do not know how they came to know about this. <clears throat> but from today's passage, we can garner three lessons regarding deception. And the first lesson is this, that deception is easy. How did the Gibbonites deceive Joshua? Well, they cunningly deduped Joshua in two ways. Firstly, by convincing words. In verse 9 to 11, they related how they have heard the report concerning Egypt, how the two kings of Sihon and Og were defeated. But notice, they did not mention any of the recent event concerning Jericho and Ai. They were smart, for they realized if they didn't mention the two events, it would mean that they were, not, that, that they were part of Canaan, because news would not have passed on so fast. Now, if words were not enough, to convince Joshua, the next deceived Joshua by showing them credible proof. And you find that all evidence seems to point that they were from a faraway country. Their clothings and sandals appeared worn out. Their bread, once warm and fresh, is now moldy and dry. And their wineskin bursts. Deceive, trick, hookwink. Who likes to be con? You know, in this modern age and time, <coughs> it is foolish to think that you and I cannot be fooled. But yet in Singapore, we have many cases, isn't it, of people foolishly being scammed 
over their hard-earned savings. I hope none of us here are being scammed. None? Okay, very good. You know, just to share with you, not too long ago, <coughs> my eldest daughter, Bethany, almost got scammed. What happened was that I was about to fetch her from somewhere, I can't remember where, and then she suddenly called me very flustered, telling me that she received this email from some organization from the government, you know, saying that she has to attend to court for some case. Apparently, she didn't even realize about this. And then when she started to call the number, you know, everything seemed so real. Everything seemed so professional. They even put her through different departments. And you know, the way they, they, they presented themselves was very prim and proper. They even said the correct terms correctly. And so as she was very flustered over this, I suddenly told her, hey, maybe, Bethany, maybe this is a scam. And then it suddenly dawned upon her, yes, this was a scam. And she immediately put down the phone. In fact, you find that not too long ago, just the beginning of this week, I was reading, there was this article where 27 victims had fallen prey to a recent scam resulting in a total loss of around 325,000 Singapore dollars. And this scam involved fraudulent mooncake sales on social media platforms such as Facebook and Instagram. You see, once the buyers express an interest to buy the mooncake and they place the order through, social through this social messaging form, they are immediately directed to a WhatsApp message to complete their payment. And in this WhatsApp message, the victims are led to download to what is known as an Android Package Kit, APK. This is an application that is designed for Android operating system which contains malware. And so once this, AP, this APK file was downloaded and installed, what the scammers could do now was that they were able now to gain remote access to the victim's device, allowing them to steal password and access banking credentials, and as a result, victims discovered unauthorized transaction in their bank account. So, deception is easy. That's the first lesson for us today. Any one of us can fall prey. And if it's so easy to be deceived physically, let me just say that it's equally easy to be deceived spiritually. And brothers and sisters in Christ, as disciples of Jesus, you and I, we must be mindful of a deceiving and lying spirit. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus pointed out that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. And he will use all means to trick us if you and I are not careful. And the way to ensure that we are not being deceived by the Spirit, the Apostle John, writing in his letter to the earlier church, gives good, good counsel on how we, can, how we are not to be fooled. In 1 John 4 verse 1, he advised, he says this, Beloved, do not Believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many prophets have gone out into the world. What John is teaching us is simply this. We are to test every spirit. We are not to believe every word spoken as the gospel truth. 20, 30 years ago, when Singapore is just growing as a Christian nation, 
You know, we used to import a lot of these Western speakers from the United States. And many of them are not really sound speakers at all. But yet, we take them in thinking that because they come from the West, they must be correct. The warning here is for us to be careful not to be deceived. We must not to follow, assume that every signs and wonders performed is from above. We must also be mindful that the devil does and can perform miracles as well. So what we should be doing, as Paul also tells us, we need to follow the example of the barons who in Acts chapter 17 verse 11, whom Paul commented in all eagerness where he preached the gospel. These barons, what did they do? They went back, they searched the scriptures from themselves to determine if what they heard was the truth. So lesson number one, deception is easy. But the question for us is, why didn't Joshua or his leaders detect this ruse? Why didn't they realize that they were deceived? If you look with me to verse 7, you find that they were initially suspicious. You know, when the Gibbonites came and said they were far from a distant country, they wanted to form an ally, verse 7 tells us that the, that the, the people of Israel said this, perhaps you live among us, then how can we make a covenant with you? So you see, based on this verse, the men of Israel doubted and even questioned the visitor's true intention. But nevertheless, we are told that they still allowed themselves to be conned. And the reason was simply because Joshua was impetuous and because of the facts that was presented to him by the Gibeonites, he hastily and readily believed them. In fact, if you look at verse 14, verse 14 hits it right on the mark. We are told that Joshua and his leaders, what? They did not consult from, they did not ask counsel from the Lord. They did not seek the Lord's approval. But instead, they once again chose, as I mentioned the last time I was here, they decided to choose and believe man's words. So lesson number two for us is this. Deception is easy without God's guidance. If anything, this chapter is to teach us, it is again the principle to be seeking the Lord in regard in all matters. I've may, I, have been, I may have mentioned this before, but I believe it's worth mentioning again. Because again, when you look back in chapter 1, God commanded Joshua before he took over the leadership role. The command to Joshua was what? To meditate on his word day and night, which means to seek direction from the Lord in any decision. And yet we find that this is the second time Joshua failed to do so, resulting now in a fatal compromise. The first incident was, of course, when Joshua did not consult God in the capture of Ai. So the application for you and I then is very simple. In order for us not to be deceived, consult God in everything. Consult God in everything, always, immediately, and quickly. Keep that spiritual line constantly open between you and God. Open your ears to listen to heaven, to hear what He has to say to us. 
inquire of him, is this, Lord, the opportunity from you? Should I be taking this path, God? At every crossroad, we need to acknowledge him, his guidance, and not only when times, when we are in desperate times. You see, as the wise words of King Solomon in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 states, <laughs> that we are to trust in the Lord with all our hearts, we are not to lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, we must acknowledge Him and He will make straight our path. And so as a result then of this rash decision from Joshua, the consequence was disastrous. Israel ended up making peace with the enemy. Israel ended up making a covenant with them letting them live. But how did Israel eventually discover the deception and realize their mistake? Well, perhaps you can say maybe the Gibeonites, you know, they were overheard rejoicing in their success in tricking the Jews and were, was confronted by the Israelites. Or possibly one of Joshua's spies recognized them as the enemy. Well, whatever the case, Verse 17 tells us that it was only after three days later when Israel set out their next conquest, with Gibeon being the next target, that Joshua realized to his surprise that he had been hoodwinked and no doubt was embarrassed by it. But what's worse was that upon the revelation of this deception, verse 18, the second part of verse 18, further records that all the congregation murmured against the leaders. Now, this is another important key phrase for us, as this implies that now there arose within the midst of the Israelites that there's the sense of unhappiness, there's the sense of dissatisfaction among the ranks. In fact, reading this verse, you could also probably sense that the people were very upset and they were ready to stone the leaders. You know, like those who were scammed will feel frustrated and angry. This was exactly the feeling of the Israelites. But what could the people be murmuring about? Well, we could argue and say that maybe, you know, they could be murmuring about the negative comments about Joshua's leadership, saying that he's a lousy leader. How could he fail to detect these rules? How can he not consult the Lord over this matter? This is the second time he has failed us. They could also be murmuring about the humiliation of being tricked by the enemy. But you know, I believe the main reason for the murmuring was this that now the Jewish people could not plunder the riches of the three cities of Gibeon, which consists of Chephira, Barot, and Kirat Jerim. But more damning was that Israel now could, now, more damning was that Israel now had to not only live with the enemy, but now they also had to protect the enemy as well. And in time, you find that Moses' warning that was mentioned at the beginning will be a reality. But nevertheless, as we continue on in this story, we find that we must give credit to Joshua. We must give credit to Joshua for keeping his oath to the Gibeonites. 
if you were tricked by someone, what would your natural reaction be? Some of us, we will say we want to take revenge, isn't it? You know, Joshua could have simply said that. <coughs> you tricked me. You know, you, 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 you conned me. But that doesn't mean I cannot attack you. But that was not what Joshua did. Because he realized that to violate this, com- this covenant would equate to taking the holy name of Joshua in vain. And this would bring about divine judgment on the people. So what did Joshua do? He kept the covenant and protected the people. But yet, we find that as we move down in history, that sadly, years later, this covenant was revoked by King Saul, Israel's first king. If you look at 2 Samuel 21 verse 1, it records here that there is blood guilt of there is blood guilt on Saul and on his house. Why? Because he put the Gibbonites to death. What happened here? Well, what happened here was simply that King Saul, looking upon the Gibbonites with suspicion, for they appeared in all intents and purpose not unlike the other Canaanites people, so Saul probably offered to move them peaceably to some other territory. But the Gibbonites refused on the strength of this ancient covenant. And it was then that Saul forcefully evicted them. And this, of course, did not go well with many of the Gibbonites. And because of their resistance, Saul had many of them killed and many of them also dispersed in various parts of the country. But coming back to the text, we are told that upon discovering that the enemy was their friend, Joshua immediately made them Israel's servants. Verse 23. And it's by no coincidence that at the first meeting, the Gibeonites said to Joshua, we are your servants. And now ironically, due to their deception, their words came true. So Joshua told them, because you deceived me, in verse 23, now therefore you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants. And as servants of Israel... They are to be cutters of woods and drawers of water for the house of God. Deceiving others will also result in consequence. Con artists make it their profession to steal from us, and the greatest of them is the devil. The Bible warns of him and his minions. Matthew 7, 15 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So church, as we close the service this evening, let us summarize then the three lessons that we have for today. Lesson number one reminds us that deception is easy. That it is so easy for us to be deceived in the physical world. Similarly, It's easy for us to be deceived in the spiritual world. Lesson number two, deception is easy without God's guidance. If we are not to be deceived by the evil one, we must constantly turn to the Lord, seek Him, listen to Him, open the conversation, open the communication line between you and God. In everything that we do, seek the Lord's direction so that we will not be deceived. And lesson number three is this. 
that if we don't follow lesson number two, lesson number three tells us that once we are deceived, it will lead to unhappiness. Let us pray. So Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for reminding us that the devil is truly a liar and the father of lies and his desire is to lead us astray. So Father, this evening as we are reminded of your word of how easy it is for us to be deceived by the evil one, we pray, Lord, that you strengthen our spiritual life by constantly turning to you always that in every decision that we have to make, whether big or small, we turn to you and ask for your guidance. So help us, Lord, that truly we will not be deceived, but we will continually live in the truth. 